this was all circulating around the base that a giant had been killed, but no one was supposed to talk about it. I saw three long bony fingers reach up underneath the door, curl up to grab it, and then disappear. When he came over to me, dude, he slithered over to me. And this giant comes out of the cave and they're all frozen. And he starts running and firing at this giant. Well, the giant moves. He's got a spear in one hand and he's running really fast and spears Dan and holds him up like this. Somebody yells, shoot him in the face, shoot him in the face. They basically decapitate him. Got closer, got closer, got closer. When he got about 15 yards away from me, I raised that 12 gauge and I blowed his head off. I feel something pulling at my leg. And I look over and there are two small gray entities pulling at me. And they're literally, I'm getting pulled off the bed. I reached my hand into this bush and I touched air. Couldn't breathe and I couldn't move because I know I'm seeing a monster. Welcome to the show, everybody. You're listening to The Confessionals. I am your host, Tony Merkel. Thank you for being here. If you've had an encounter or a story you'd like to share with me on the show, go ahead and shoot me an email. My email address is theconfessionalspodcast at gmail.com. That's theconfessionalspodcast at gmail.com. Or go to the website, theconfessionalspodcast.com, hit the connection section, and you can reach me that way as well. Either way works for me. Just get a hold of me. Now, this week, we have a very special show coming up. We have David Icke. Now, David Icke is known for his conspiracy theories. In fact, he's probably the godfather of conspiracy theories over the last 30 years. He's been making a name for himself for predicting things that come to pass and telling us about things that nobody seems to really want to believe in. And me and David sat down to talk about reptilians, the moon as a landing spot for maybe military or extraterrestrial activity, UFOs and mainstream media today. And I even asked him a question that I haven't ever heard many people ask him, which was, what are your thoughts on cryptozoology and Bigfoot? And he had some thoughts about that. So we get into a lot of different things in this interview with David Icke. Let's get to it right now. What I'm seeing is um, more and more people beginning to question what they've not questioned before. That is incredibly uh, encouraging. It's happening everywhere. And it's not just the numbers, it's the kind of people, what I would call system people. You'd never think would ever question uh, the system, but they are. Um, the number of people in full knowledge of what they're doing is tiny. Thousands maximum at the core, hundreds at the core, at the core of the core even less. The, the rest of the, the structure 
He's fiercely compartmentalized, so people are daily different parts of this global web structure, playing a part in pushing the world in the direction I'm talking about to this centralized um, world dictatorship. that I'm, I've been exposing for, for three decades is basically a, um, the hijacking of human perception. Okay, today we have a special, special guest coming on. We have Sir David Ike. David, how are you? I'm good, man. Good to meet you. And so we have uh, a paranormal type show that we do where we have people come on and share their experiences. And uh, I thought you'd be a great guest to come on and share some of your experiences and some of your knowledge that you picked up over the last 30 years. And for anybody who isn't familiar with your work, which I can't imagine there's a whole lot of people out there that aren't familiar with your work, uh, would you please just give us a brief history as to how this kind of all started for you? Because I know you had uh, a career before this that you didn't expect your life to go in this direction. No, well, it's appropriate you asked me that question on a on a show about the paranormal, really, because it was quite uh, well not paranormal. Paranormal is how society sees uh, perfectly normal events, but we've become so disconnected from the totality and the um, the real nature of reality that anything that's outside of a tiny norm suddenly becomes the paranormal. And only what comes out of mainstream science and comes out of mainstream education, mainstream media, and mainstream everything is considered normal. But in fact, the normal is a, a tiny, tiny fraction of what is actually going on all around us without us realizing it. And I started to understand this um, after a life in which I was um, a professional soccer player. Uh, my career ended when I was... Um, 21 at the, uh, 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 because of arthritis, rheumatoid arthritis, which now doesn't trouble me at all. And um, then I went into journalism in newspapers and uh, radio and then television. I became a national spokesman for the, uh, or a national uh, presenter for uh, the BBC in news and sport. And then um, I became a national spokesman for the British Green Party. Uh, and uh, because I, I was concerned about what we were doing to the environment. Uh, and all that took me along a road, giving me lots of um, experience in various areas of life that uh, together have been um, fantastically important in, in what followed. And what followed was the apparently paranormal, because during 1989, whenever ever I was in a room alone, I had the feeling I wasn't that uh, there was some kind of presence there in the room. And this continued and got more and more powerful, more and more tangible throughout 1989 into 1990, uh, to the point where uh, I remember in um, about March 1990, I'm in a hotel room working for the BBC, sitting on the side of a bed on my own, and this presence in the room was so blatant that I said out into the room, um, would you please contact me because you're driving me up the wall if there's something there. And very soon after that, um, I found myself in a newsagent bookshop 
near where I live, just down the road from where we're speaking. And um, my son was looking at the books when I came into the shop and I said to him, uh, come on, Gaz, we'll uh, go and get some lunch. And as it happened, um, it was like my feet were stuck to the ground. I'm standing at the entrance to the shop. It was like, uh, it was almost like magnets were pulling your feet to the ground and the atmosphere changed. Now, of course, in, in those days and for some time afterwards, I'm thinking, what the heck is all this about? But now I, I realize the atmosphere changed because the electromagnetic field around me changed. And um, it wasn't a voice, but it was a very strong thought form, which just said to me, go and look at the books on the far side. And I knew this uh, shop. Um, it sold romantic novels and pretty much that's it, you know, for the tourists who come to where I live on holiday. Uh, so I was kind of bewildered by that, but I was obviously more bewildered by what the heck is happening to me. So I walked across to these books in the days and in the middle of these books was a, was one that stood out because it was different to all the rest. And it was called mind to mind. It was a woman's face on the front and I picked it up and turned over, read the blurb and I saw the word psychic. This is a, uh, a book about uh, the life story of a psychic who funnily enough didn't live far from me or, about uh, two hours on the train away. And so when I saw the word psychic, my immediate reaction was, I wonder if she'd pick up what I'm feeling all these years, because I've never you know, been to a psychic before. So I, I go to her and I didn't tell her anything. She knew nothing about what was happening to me. And I turn up and, and she was doing the hands-on healing because the, the story I gave her, and it was, it was true in a way, was that I had this arthritis and maybe a hands-on healing, which she also did, just an exchange of energy, of course, um, might help. I didn't tell her anything else. So I go a couple of times and hands-on healing, nice chat. Uh, in the middle of this, you don't know what's happening at the time, but it was an electromagnetic field. That's what I was feeling, like a spider's wall in my face. And what struck me is that she talks about this in her book. Sometimes when other realities are trying to lock into you, you feel like a spider's web in your face. This is the electromagnetic connection. And I didn't say anything to her at all again, except my backside started to slip down the bench because I'm thinking, what the heck is happening? This is all new to me. But 10 to 15 seconds later, she launches her head back and says, my God, this is powerful. I'm going to have to close my eyes for this one. And I'm sitting there thinking, what have you got yourself into, Ike? And uh, then she starts to say that she's connecting with some presence and that presence is asking her to tell me um, things and this is march 1990 and i was going to go out it said on a world stage and reveal great secrets one man cannot change the world but one man can communicate the message that can change the world and and um that there was a story that had to be told that basically uh, um humanity was living in a world uh all around it to paraphrase things were happening that humanity needed to know about uh, but didn't and that i would from that point uh, be led to knowledge and at other times knowledge would be put into my mind and i would just know things and wonder where they came from and uh, so from that moment uh, my life became almost instantly a synchronistic journey this is uh, nearly 30 years ago of walking into information, uh, people, personal experiences, documents, whistleblowers, 
a great range of sources of information, but with very clear themes. Like in the first few years, it was all about the manipulation of what, what I would call the five sense world, the world of the tangible, the world of the scene. And then from about the mid 1990s, it moved also in because these different sources and, and themes of information just continue to this present day. There just becomes more of it. Uh, into the fact that behind the manipulation um, of the world of the scene is a force that is unseen, that is actually uh, not human. And then, for me, the big penny drops came just after the turn of the millennium, when uh, the, the information that was coming to me in an extraordinary synchronistic way, a subject would come into my life, a new one, and then suddenly information about it was coming from all angles, wherever I went, literally all over the world. And um, this, this, for me, perceptual changing penny drop moment was when uh, the subject became the nature of reality itself and the illusory nature of physical reality and how what we are experiencing apparently outside of ourselves is actually coming from within, just like a computer uh, decodes Wi-Fi within the computer. Uh, and projects this Wi-Fi information in a totally different form on the screen. So I started to understand this by the synchronicity of information coming to me. And suddenly you realize um, how the so-called impossible, paranormal, that can't be true, that could never happen, that's impossible, is actually perfectly straightforward. But you've got to expand your perceptions beyond the uh, limitations, tiny limitations of five sense reality, five sense perception, and five sense experience, and then the penny starts to fall. But if um, if you don't do that, then we appear to live in a world of limitation, a world of solidity, a world of um, I can't, it's not possible. Which, if you're a few and you want to control and dictate the perceptions, thus the behaviour of the target population, you sure as heck don't want them to know what reality is that they're experiencing. You want them to believe in a reality that will keep them in a mental and emotional bubble or, or box. Right. And when we're talking about these types of things and stuff, uh, I'm always telling people that listen to my show, thinking outside the box is crucial and not limiting yourself as to what your preconceived notions are. And that's why I have so many different people on my show from different walks of life, because I think a lot of people can bring different things to the table. And so when you were having that experience and you first started hearing that voice, especially like in the bookstore, like when you look back at that what do you think that was? I'm sure you've had plenty of time to think about it. Do you think that was um, somebody calling you to a task in life? Or do you think there was some kind of, I don't know, ultra force just speaking to you? Well, first of all, I think if we, if we um, break down or break out of the perception of form, which is just a vehicle for experience, then you start to see what we all are. All these labels that people give themselves and they self-identify with, religious labels, racial labels, income bracket uh, labels, sexual labels, they're just experiences, very brief experiences. And because we get caught in the labels and self-identify with the labels, 
uh, you know, humanity goes to war with itself on the basis of wanting their label to be dominant over other people's labels or their label to be believed in by other labels. Um, when actually what we are, in my view, is a state of awareness, a state of awareness, a state of being aware. Uh, something called, um, or a, an experience called David Icke is talking to you now. But that's not who I am. That's what my consciousness, infinitely exploring forever, is experiencing. It's just a name for my experience. And so um, you can perceive it as some, I don't know, external entity, extraterrestrial entity or something talking to you. Uh, in another form of body, or you can perceive it as another um, expression of the same consciousness that we all are. Well, I see us as points of attention, points of attention in different uh, points of attention in, in the same infinite flow of consciousness. You can see it as another aspect of that consciousness that's not limited by the the focus of the five senses that can can see reality and experience reality in a much more expanded way than we can with this this uh this body this biological computer as i call it which focuses our attention within a tiny band of frequencies which then becomes a, a in many people their their totality of sense of reality but if you if you open your um self if you open your bubble if you open your box and let other um, levels of consciousness in, other levels of your consciousness uh, ultimately, because we're all one consciousness ultimately, then you can uh, access um, other levels of awareness that are not in the um, the perceptual uh, limitation that you are in. It's not, it's not been through the education system and been told to believe in a pea-sized um, range of possibility. It's not having that pea-sized possibility confirmed by the mainstream media 24-7. It's not got peer pressure around it, uh, insisting that you believe in the pea-sized uh, perception, otherwise you're mad or dangerous or strange. It doesn't have those things. So therefore, it can, it can see the happenings in this reality in a completely different way, in a much more expanded way. But so that's what I feel I'm... I'm interacting with ultimately. It's a um, a level of awareness that is not subject to the limitations of this world. Thus, can see things that this world cannot see. But having said that, when I look at my life up to the point where this uh, I had this experience with the psychic, and what I was told would happen all started to happen. It has been ever since. I I've been through. A stream of experiences, some of which I've described here, that have been monumentally important to what has happened since that contact. Thus, um, I, I can't. I don't think it started with the contact. I think it started before I came in, for whatever reason. Yeah, that makes sense. And now, with the reptilian side of things, I mean, that obviously is kind of along the same lines as thinking outside the box and stuff. I mean, it's something that I'm sure was hard to accept at first when you first uh, had these thoughts coming to you. Uh, had that all materialized for you as far as this reptilian race that you are well known for speaking about? And have you ever seen such a reptilian? Well, um, let, let me uh, explain 
how I get the information. I mentioned earlier this uh, suggestion that I would be from that moment led to knowledge and knowledge would be put into my mind. And that's exactly what has happened. So I'm not sitting in a darkened room pulling this stuff out of the ether. What's happened in the synchronicity of my life is I've just walked into this information in a very five sense way. You know, when you talk to um, shamans and carriers of ancient knowledge and they describe their legends and their accounts and their beliefs about a non-human force manipulating human society, and so many times uh, they uh, give it a reptilian uh, form. And then you talk to whistleblowers very much in this world and very much in this um in this society, whistleblowers from intelligence communities and military communities, etc. Um, and they are telling you the same story about what's happening now. Uh, then you, um, you have a range of information. And how I work is the, the worst thing you can do, unless you absolutely know it's not true from previous experience, is just wave people away. Um, what you do, I do anyway, is if I get information, like when the reptilian stuff started coming in, and I'll tell you that came in. Um, I went to America in, um, what would it be, about 1996-7. And um, in a 15-day, uh, something like that period, when I was traveling to a different place every day, I met around 12 different people who told me the same basic story in different settings, of course. But the same basic story of seeing someone who looked human, then uh, shifting into a, a non-human, overwhelmingly reptilian form, uh, and back again. And so that 15-day period just introduced, out of nowhere for me, this theme. And from then on, it just went on um, being handed to me. I, I go to South uh, Africa. I meet a Zulu shaman called Prado Mutwa, uh, who's the official historian of the Zulu nation. And he starts telling me about the Chitahuri, the children of the serpent, and so on uh, from, from their um, uh, perspective. And you start to realize that, you know, when historians and anthropologists go into these ancient societies, from their five-sense perspective, their box, and they read about, belief in these gods or those gods or whatever. And they say, okay, so you, th th these people, uh, they worship those gods, and these people, they worship those gods. And so it goes on. If you, if you then just look, not at the names that are given to these, quote, gods, but you look at how they're described, you look at how they are described in terms of what they do uh, and how they manipulate, you find yourself looking at the same story but people miss it because they give different names to it and maybe different historical uh, context to it uh, so when you see it as a um, one basic recurring story all over the world then you put it together with what people have told you from from the modern world like in the intelligence military community and I put it on the back burner to start with, and I, I just let it bubble. I don't dismiss it, and I don't accept it. I just 
see if any more information on that subject comes, far out as it may be at first hearing. And if it doesn't come, I leave it. But in this case of the reptilian story, it did come and it did come. And there reaches a point where you've got so many, so much information from so many different ancient modern sources um, that it crosses the line to the point where you say, yeah, I'm going to talk about this because not to do so would be uh, to basically um, run away from it, thinking, oh, what will people say about me if, if I talk about this? Well, I'm not bothered what people say about me. I can care less. That's their, that's their business, not mine. And so when, when that line is crossed, in terms of the reptilians, it, it was crossed for me a long time ago, then I start talking about it. And of course, you, you know, people say to you, did you not think that people ridiculed you when you started talking about that? And I'm thinking, do you know I did? But I just didn't care. Because I'm interested in the truth. I'm not interested in a statue and a round of applause. I'm interested in the truth, whatever the truth is. And when you think that, according to mainstream science, um, the electromagnetic spectrum is 0.005% of what exists in the universe, simply what they perceive now. Um, some say it's a bit more, but not much. And that visible light, which is only the only frequency band that we can actually see as a visual reality, is a tiny smear of the 0.005%. When you think that, according to mainstream science, in their projections of their perceived size of the universe, it's only what they believe now, planet Earth is the equivalent in size of a billionth of a pinhead. Um, when you look into the night sky and you see that blaze of lights and you think you're, you're looking at a tiny fraction, even of the Milky Way galaxy, the idea that there is not other life apart as we perceive life, intelligent life, um, apart from humans, takes on, the, takes on the state of being bordering on the insane. So the idea that, or, or the, the the fact that there's other life out there, is um, is blatantly obvious. And if you've got a range of life and expressions of life, some are going, some of it's going to be benevolent, some of it's going to be malevolent, some some of it is going to be somewhere in between. And um, I'm not, you know, saying that, um, oh, or you know, other life other than human is all horrible. No, no, I'm not saying that. Humanity's not all horrible, nothing like, but some of them is, some of them are. They bomb, they bomb cities of civilians for political ends, of course. It's not very nice. So it's the same principle, really. And all I'm exposing is the fact that there is a, a non-human force that is in a very disturbed state of awareness, shall we say, that is manipulating human society via networks that operate in our reality through secret societies and, and, and what have you. Uh, and the, the more that uh, what we call time passes, the more information, the more confirmation of that um, comes to light. Because, you know, a lot of the stuff that I talked about 30, 20 years ago is now happening. And this has been a real um, boon to my own credibility, credibility of my work in the sense that, how did I know that? How, 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 did, how could so many things in my books in the 1990s and 20 years ago, 15 years ago, be happening now? Not because I'm a genius, not because I'm some guru or messiah sitting cross-legged on a mountain, but because 
quite simply, um, if I could um, uncover these things and say this is what's planned and it happens, it tells you something very, very clear and very simple. What is happening is not random. Because if it was random, I wouldn't know about it. How did Aldous Huxley know about it in 1932 with Brave New World? How did um, uh, George Orwell know about it in 1948 with 1984? How can people who I've named, insiders who I've named in my books, one of them from 1969, have, have described what the internet was that's coming? Who could, have, who could have said, what we're going to do is make boys and girls the same? Um, and a list of other things, which at the, at the time in 1969 were far out, but actually are, are happening or have already happened. It's because there's two worlds that we're looking at. There's the world that we live in, the mass of the population, and that has a certain level of knowledge that's allowed. And from that knowledge, the population gleans its perceptions of reality. There's another world interpenetrating that one where people um, who have this uh, greater awareness of reality passed on to them through the secret society network, the upper levels of it, not the rank and file, who have an agenda um, and a knowledge base of that about that agenda, which means that they can um, they can plan for control by technology, which is happening now, long ago, before that technology even existed in the public arena, because that level of knowledge knew about that technology and how it was coming and how it was going to work. This is why, for instance, a simple uh, example, in 1984, um, George Orwell talks about telescreens. Uh, television screens in your home, um, which could um, film you and record you. And of course, in that time, it, it was, uh, you know, black and white TVs were just about coming. Uh, and the idea of, a, of, of, a, of a, a television screen, a big television screen in your, in your room, in your home, filming you and recording you, I mean, what? Well, it's just a novel, isn't it? Well, a lot of the basis of that novel was actually based on fact as we're now seeing. And so now we have smart TVs that uh, have cameras and, um, and uh, audio recorders. And smart TVs as they are now is only mark one and two of smart TVs. The full-blown telescreen is coming uh, if we allow it to. Uh, and the reason they could be so accurate with these predictions like um, Aldous Huxley with his uh, drugs and genetic manipulation to, uh, uh, agenda that he exposed in, um, or talked about, wrote about in um, in um, Brave New World, um, they could do that because if you can access this agenda, you can predict the future. And what I've been doing for 30 years is digging and digging and digging away with help of from this synchronicity in my life uh, and uncovering what that projected agenda is. And you can appear then to predict the future. But what you're really doing is predicting what the agenda wants that future to be and if nothing intervenes to change that uh, process it will happen and the, you know the whole point of my life and what I do is not to be proved right but to be proved wrong by alerting enough people to what the agenda is that it gets headed off um, because if it doesn't it will unfold because it is by the day
Yeah. And, you know, it's one of those things where even in, I've seen it in my own life with doing what I do, there's a lot of people that I face ridicule with and stuff, and I still do from all aspects of life. And uh, it's one of those things where probably about five years ago, I had to let go and say, you know what, this is what I feel I'm supposed to be doing and pursuing and exposing. And so I had to do that. And here I am today with a podcast that, you know, talks to hundreds of thousands of people a month. And so I, I wanted to ask you real quick, though, about because um, I, I just heard you talk about this not too long ago about the moon and the the idea of it being basically, I guess, like a, a satellite or, or a um, an antenna of some sort. Uh, could you go into that and explain that a little bit? Well, I mean, to, to it's like everything, you know, um, when you introduce something that's far out to normal perception, uh, what I would call program perception, limited perception because of the way the system works, then, you know, things can sound crazy in one line. And you need time to um, put the dots together and the background information so that people see, hold on a minute, this might have sounded crazy to start with, but actually this is starting to make sense. That's why, you know, I write it at, at length in the books. But in, uh, in, in brief terms, uh, uh, one of the things that um, is an example of that synchronicity of ancient modern uh, came when, um, well, I was sitting here, this, this computer just behind me, um, and um, it, was, it was like an example of how, how my life has gone. I sat there one morning, I just got up and I, sitting there and something just said to me very clearly the moon's not what you think it is the moon's not what you think it is so i i, I put um a few um key words into the computer the moon's not what i think it is and i and up came a book called who built the moon and i sent for it and i read it and it was by two researchers who were looking at all the anomalies of the moon uh and the anomalies were so constant and so massive, they concluded it couldn't be what we call real. It couldn't be natural. And then, usual story in my life, information was coming from all directions. I, I, I meet the, the Zulu shaman again, who um, told me the Zulu myths about the moon, that actually it's not real, that it, it's been, it was taken there. Then you come across tribes um, uh, that go way back who say that their tribe goes back to before the moon was in the sky. Uh, and it builds up and it builds up and it builds up and it builds up. And I, I, I write about it length in the book. And um, there are uh, so many anomalies with the moon. And then there was the two um, Soviet scientists from the uh, uh, Soviet Academy of Sciences who wrote a, a long, detailed article in 1970 saying that they believe that the moon was some kind of gigantic um, spacecraft and that the real deal of the moon was going on inside, which is exactly what the Zulu uh, stories and ancient accounts describe. They say the Chittahuri uh, operate within what they call the children of the serpent, operate within the, within the moon. Uh, and so people would have to read the books to, um, to see all the dots put together. But again, you see um, what... If you're if you're pursuing what's actually happening, then you've got to give it. You've got to give the information the chance to justify itself. If if you are 
Moon's not real. All right. Okay. Change <laughs> the subject. How crazy is that? That's it. Gone. Finish. Bubble. Bubble intact. Right. Danger past. Uh, whereas if you really want to know the truth, you say, oh, well, that sounds pretty strange to me, but I'm going to let the information justify itself. And uh, in terms of the moon, it did um, and uh, continues to do so. So uh, that's just an example of if you put the hand up and say, don't be, don't be dark, impossible. You, you are just maintaining your, 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 you're reinforcing your box. You're repelling all borders. It's like, um, Socrates is supposed to have said in ancient Greece, wisdom is knowing how little we know. Once you have the humility to accept that in the circumstances we face in terms of perception, we cannot know it all. So I work on the basis of whatever I know or whether I, whatever I perceive that I know, there's always, always, always more to know. So your mind's constantly open. And, you know, a light on its feet, willing to go anywhere that the information justifies itself. And it's the, the moon situation certainly has for me. And I think what you're going to see in, um, in, in what we call the future is increasing confirmation that the moon is not what we thought it was. And, and um, it is actually a construct. And when you read, even in night from 1970, these Russian scientists, explaining the moon anomalies that no one can explain and then saying but if it's a construct this is how the anomalies can be explained it's very very compelling and uh, there's a heck of a lot that uh, people like nasa know about the moon they're not telling us yes and i absolutely agree with you uh and the reason why i asked that question is a couple times in my show now i've had people come on and share their experiences of these abduction cases and they often talk about being on the moon as a space station as some place where it was like a landing spot to go somewhere else and they talk about this enslavement and uh there's there's time travel involved there and stuff and it all depends on how you view time travel as to what they're experiencing but there is something going on with the moon and uh, I have had that confirmed several times in my show. And uh, I know you're, you're running short on time, but I, I just want to ask you two quick questions here. Uh, the one is with the UFOs in the news now and how there seems to be this disclosure coming with UFOs. Do you see in the future that this time in, in the timeline of the UFOs coming to the mainstream media more, do you think that's going to help you down the road with p the public perception of you connecting dots? Well, yes, it's bound to, but you know, I'm, I'm going to do a, a, a video. I do a weekly video, um, from, from here every Friday. And, uh, I'm going to do it this week on that very question. Because, you know, if we're going to, um, A, understand what's going on and B, not be scammed and diverted into believing things that, um, quote, the system wants us to believe while we're researching it, put us in cul-de-sacs, if you like, or, or, or get us to promote something that the system the, beyond the deep state wants us to, to promote, then we've got to be streetwise. And, and the, the, the easiest way not to be streetwise is to be told something you want to hear. And that, because you already have this desire for it to be true. And so you're more likely to believe it. So here I am, uh, someone who's been talking about 
um, non-human and extraterrestrial, also non-human terrestrial as well, come to that, uh, a force that is manipulating human society. As, as the U.S. Navy and all these you know, different Pentagon organizations and, and the History Channel documentary that's, uh, that's out about um, you know, the revelations of all the pilots, military pilots that have seen uh, UFOs and have the radar uh, evidence, things that um, move at speeds and change direction at speeds that in, in a way that no technology we know about in the human world can do. Uh, you'd think I'd be saying, you know, just one of, see, told you, told you, told you I was right. But what I'm saying is, look, obviously, for reasons I've talked about, there is life other than human. I, I say that an aspect of that life is manipulating human life. But just because um, the authorities tell us something, I think this is, this is uh, I'm safe to go without contradiction here doesn't mean it's necessarily true. And I ask this question, why has there been this blatant suppression of extraterrestrial or UFO activity um, and serious um, suppression? Uh, some people being obviously taken out um, for trying to put this information out there. Uh, uh, others, you know, subject to um, deep surveillance. And now suddenly, everyone's got relaxed about it. And you're having uh, people with a CIA background, with a Pentagon intelligence background, and so on, um, coming out and talking about this stuff. And uh, this, you, you know, these are people that still have a security clearance. And you know, I'm not saying that they are knowingly kind of misleading. They might be, but I'm not saying that. But the fact is that the authorities that could shut them down are not. They're relaxed about it. In fact, the Navy are, uh, are quite happy now to say, oh, yeah, we changed the uh, reporting rules for pilots because there's so many UFOs that we can't explain. And I'm going, well, hold on a minute. You know, Is there a Damascus in, in, in America somewhere? And the Pentagon's been on the road to it. Uh, so I, I, I'm... I'm keeping a very, very open mind and a watchful eye on this because I'm reminded of a project um, which came out uh, some time ago now, I've written about it here and now in my books, um, called Project Bluebeam, which was to um, manipulate uh, human society with some kind of fake, quote, alien invasion. And I remember... Ronald Reagan saying when he was president more than once, you know, if um, if we were faced with an invasion from from beyond, we'd all come together, wouldn't we? And when you look at what I've been saying over the years, that on one level the plan is for the centralized um, political and military control of the planet via a world government and a world army, etc., all of which is moving towards that. Then, um, basically, as Reagan was saying, and as is blatantly obvious, if there was a threat to the world that people perceived to be a threat to the world, then um, so much would be justified. What happens when um, a country is at war? Just a country. You have a war cabinet. The normal democratic 
ways of government are suspended while the war is fought. And you have appointed people in the war cabinet who are making all the decisions that democratic elected people uh, uh, normally make. Well, you'd have a global version of that. And basically, you would, you would uh, have the ability to justify the very structure of world control that you've been uh, seeking all this time. Now, I'm not saying that this drip, drip disclosure, which is what is, it is, is because of that, but I'm certainly not saying it's not because of it. We have to keep an open mind here, and we have to keep, again, light on our feet and, uh, and ask the classic question, the, the question that should be constantly asked when any information is put out, who benefits? Who benefits from me believing this? And if they start, if, if, it, if it does roll on, and then they start to talk about, oh, maybe we're under attack, maybe, maybe you know, we're, 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 that, that we're, an invasion is, is imminent and um, we must come together and join forces, et cetera, et cetera, in the way that I'm talking about, then we should be extremely skeptical about that because that's right off the pages of Project Blue Book. Uh, it's um, it's not it's not black and white. It's shades of grey, and it's finding the shade of grey that that um, delivers the truth. Yes, I did a video about that years ago about the shades of grey, and basically, it life isn't black and white. It's a whole lot of grey, and nobody wants to see that. It's either you got to choose one side or the other, and most times, one side or the other is both piles of trash. The truth lies in the middle. It's exactly you know people people say um, you're saying this, and I go, well, no. Because what you've said I'm saying is a black. Or you're saying this. No, no. Because what you're saying is that I'm saying a white. I'm not. Uh, it's not black and white. It's not this or that. Uh, to, to quote uh, boy George Bush, you're not for us or against us. It's a shade of grey. And it's finding the shade of grey. The, 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 um, the truth is always in the shade of grey. And with this UFO disclosure, it's absolutely in the shade of grey. Why do they want to suddenly know about this stuff when they've spent all these decades uh, systematically suppressing it? Maybe because the time has come for this card to be played when it wasn't uh, the time before. We will see. But I would say to people, watch. Watch this, um, what I call problem-reaction-solution or no-problem-reaction-solution. Create a problem or the illusion of one and then offer the solution to the problem you've created or the illusion of a problem you've created. And uh, if they start, um, like I say, talking about pooling armies, pooling uh, decision-making to meet a threat, then's the time for the red flags to fly and the um, flashing red lights to start. Yeah, and for anybody who's listening to this and they're thinking, oh, the government wouldn't do that, they wouldn't create a problem so they can provide the answer, things like that, just look at Operation Northwoods. That's a proven fact. It, it actually happened. It made its way to the president's desk. Look into that. I'm not going to go into the details now, but that was a very real th- situation that your government was conspiring against you with terrorist attacks, all sorts of things back in the 60s. So I promise you, they haven't changed since then. In fact, they got more advanced. So well, what's Weapons of mass destruction in Iraq is the classic example of what I call no problem reaction solution. Well, you don't need a real problem. You just need the perception of one to justify an invasion and the slaughter of a, a whole uh, people. I've just finished a book, funnily enough, um, which is uh, uh, going into print shortly, um, which absolutely uh, demolishes the official story of 9-11 and um, reveals who actually did it. And it wasn't 19 hijackers uh, from uh, uh, Muslim hijackers. 
Um, and, and of course, Operation uh, Northwoods gets a, a serious mention in that because um, it's uh, so relevant to, uh, to, to 9-11. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, 9-11 essentially was Operation Northwoods. Exactly. That's exactly what it was. And exactly. it, I, I've, done a, I've done a show on 9-11 where I ha- I'm sure you've heard of her, Susan Lindauer. I had her on the show talking about her experience with all that. Uh, but you know, before we get out of here, I wanted to ask you a question. This is kind of off the path of what we were talking about, but I have a, a, an audience that listens to my show and they hear a lot of different you know, paranormal experiences people have, um, cryptid experiences. I just wanted to ask you something that I don't think I've ever heard anybody else ask you. And what are your thoughts on these people that have these like Bigfoot experiences and things like that? I mean, you've had, you've had a lot of different things happen in your life. What are your thoughts on the, this topic of Bigfoot and cryptozoology and, and these things that people are seeing that just shouldn't exist? Well, shouldn't exist according to our perception of reality, but you know, where do our perceptions come from? They come from information received. And for most people going from, uh, through a human life, that information is overwhelmingly dictated by official sources and mainstream sources. So uh, what exists beyond that is basically almost everything because it's so tiny. Uh, I'm, I don't know. I've not researched that. Uh, but again, if I was researching it, I would not dismiss it because if people keep having, um, experiences and their descriptions of them are uh, very common and they match then at the very least unless there's a mass illusion going on um there's there's something serious to look into here and and so you you go along the road uh, you talk to them you you talk to other people you see all the common themes and then you look at um, um ancient accounts are, are, is that phenomena in in some way described in in ancient accounts because if this phenomena is happening now it's been happening before in history you know I, i'll give you an example we talk now about uh that people have um abductions where they describe being taken up into a craft on a beam of light and flown into the heavens um and then you read the religious texts and the ancient texts who talk about this is like thousands of years ago, some of them, they talk about uh, people being taken up into the sky in fiery chariots by the gods. Now, from their cultural perception, that they're describing in the best way they can. Actually, what, we're, what we are, people today describe in different terms, because we're in a different cultures, cultural society and a technological society. So th- this whole um, manipulation has not just started, it's been going on for a very long time. Uh, it's just we call it something different now. Uh, so um, I wouldn't write off any phenomena until until you you reach a point where no, this doesn't stand up at all. Until then, I'm open to anything. I understood that very clearly. So David, I thank you very much for coming on the show. And before we get out of here, I just want you to give I want to give you an opportunity to share with people where they can buy your book. And I know today is June third that we're recording. This interview is going to release on my. Tuesday schedule and the same day it's releasing is when your film releases as well. So people could, you know, know where to get that as well. Yeah. Well, um, the, uh, my last book's called everything you need to know, but have never been told, which pulls the whole thing together, including the moon. Uh, what I talk about in terms of the relationship to Saturn, very, very important in this story, uh, and the nature of reality and how the world's manipulated and all the extraterrestrial stuff and, and the, um, the reptilian stuff. It's all in that book everything you need to know but have never been told. That's available at davidike.com. And uh, for people in America, these books are posted from within America, so you don't have postage across the world, and you don't have to wait for long postage from across the world. It's, it's, they're actually 
um, um, sent, shipped from within America. Um, and uh, this new book is coming out, well, you, you would expect it to, on September the 11th. And it's uh, going to be highly, highly, phenomenally controversial. Um, and um, it's not just about 9-11. Telling the 9-11 story, and particularly who really did it, uh, opens up the whole panorama of human control, of which that was a very significant part. That will be available for pre-order the very early August, I would think. And pre-order, I'll tell you this now, pre-order is, is, is more important for this book than any other because when you read it, you see what's in it, you'll see what I mean. I don't know what's going to happen when the book hits the, hits the um, public arena and the system knows what's in it, right? So the more we can get circulating before that point through pre-order, the better, uh, from my point of view anyway. Uh, and the... Movie Renegade, um, we shot uh, over a year in about four countries. It's uh, it's about my life, yes, but that's just the theme. And I talk about these paranormal experiences I had and what have you. But it, it contains it's a phenomenal amount of information about a range of subjects which come out as they follow me around, fly on the wall in these different countries. And uh, it involves some very, very interesting people that I meet as well, including uh, Alice Walker, the uh, the great writer of um, The Color Purple, the Pulitzer Prize winner, who's um, a very, very open-minded uh, human being. And uh, she's she's um, one of the people I meet. It's fascinating. I, I, I had nothing to do with the editing, but when I saw it, uh, I was delighted with uh, the job that they've done on it. So that's, that's available through davidite.com from June the 4th, as you say. Yes. And so anybody who's listening, uh, the moment you hear this show, that movie will be available. I f- I saw, David, I saw you releasing it at 3 a.m. in the morning, Eastern time. And that's exactly the same time I released my show. So the very moment that people can listen to my show. Synchronicities. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> synchronicities. Uh, but yeah, I, I want to thank you very much for coming on. And uh, everybody, go ahead and pre-order that book because censorship is very real. We've experienced it on this show. And I'm sure David has experienced it many times in his life. Uh, David, thank you very much for coming on. It's a pleasure. It's been a great pleasure to talk to you. Well, that's the show, everybody. I really hope you enjoyed it. And if you did enjoy it, go ahead and share the show with your friends. I don't care how you share it. You can share it through email, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. I don't care how you share it. But if you enjoyed the show with David Icke, please share it with your friends. And until next week, friends, take care, stay safe. And remember, the truth will set you free, but first it'll piss you off. Bye. me every day to think you're moving on you know I'm not afraid to say where I went wrong you lost that feeling I can't believe it you've come down I'm tired of guessing where you went missing but somehow I see you everywhere in the lonely hours Yeah, I see you everywhere in the lonely